Amos chapter 3, starting in verse 1, reads like this, Hear this word which the Lord has spoken against you, sons of Israel, against the entire family which he brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion growl from his den unless he has captured something? Does a bird fall into a trap on the ground when there is no bait in it? Does a trap spring up from the earth when it captures nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If a calamity occurs in the city, has not the Lord done it? Surely the Lord God comes, uh, does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? And then verse 9. Proclaim on the citadels in Ashdod and on the citadels in the land of Egypt and say, assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppositions in her midst. But they do not know how to do what is right, declares the Lord. These who hoard up violence and devastation in their citadels. Therefore, thus says the Lord, an enemy... Even one surrounding the land will put down your strength from you and your citadels will be looted. Thus says the Lord, just as the shepherd snatches from the lion's mouth a couple of legs and a piece of an ear. That's some harsh words. So will the sons of Israel dwelling in Samaria be snatched away with the corner of a bed and the corner a cover of a couch. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts. For on the day that I punish Israel's transgressions, I will also punish the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altars will be cut off and they will fall to the ground. I will also smite the winter houses together with the summer house, the houses of ivory, which also perish and the great house houses will come to an end, declares the Lord. That is the word of the Lord. Thank you for standing. It's been a it's been a little minute since we have been in Amos, and you remember that we uh, last time we were here, we were speaking of the transgressions of both Israel and Judah. The time before that, the transgressions of the nations, that is the Gentile nations that were around. We have since moved from the Gentile nations. God has uh, commanded judgment upon them. He's told them judgment is coming. And he has put his face towards his people. That's where we come in here. These are There are a lot of warnings in here for us as the church even today. No, I am not saying that we are like Israel in this time. I uh, thank God we still serve the one true living God. We have not put up idols and Bethel and Dan, but at one point Israel was doing the right things. Now we find time and time again, we've seen those, those famous words now for three transgressions and for four, 
right? Time and time and time again, even with God commanding, sending prophets, sending preachers, telling them to repent, they have forsaken the things that they know is right. Now, judgment comes. The the, uh, title of this message, The Cost of Irresponsibility. They were responsible for the law. God had given them His commandments. And they went against those commandments. And there's a cost to going against the Word of God, even for the church. Of course, the world is condemned. Of course, they transgress the things of God. Of course, they go against God's Word. But the church, His people that are called by His name, are able to do the same thing for a season. That's the difference. We, we can't do it for long without punishment coming. That's where we find ourselves now. Not necessarily this church, but the church in a whole is in a dangerous place. It doesn't take long for us to look amongst even some of the churches in our state and in our nation and, of course, across the world. There is a false gospel that has masked itself as the gospel. There is a falsity out there who proclaims to be of God, but at its root is evilness. They claim to serve their father God, but just as Christ said to the Pharisees, you serve your father the devil. That is what this false gospel does. That is what this spirit of antichrist is. It's anti-Christ, which means it is pro-Satan. There's no in-between here. There's no gray ground. When it comes to God and His ways, it's what He says or it's what Satan says. We either obey or we disobey. There's no in-between. Now we do know, Pastor, is there salvation for us? Absolutely there is. And even in this judgment that we read, we read in verse 12, thus says the Lord, just as a shepherd snatches from the lion's mouth, a couple legs and a piece of an ear, you could say, Lord, that's that's some hard stuff. The lamb wasn't saved, right? The sheep wasn't saved. The animal is surely killed. If all I grab is a leg and a piece of an ear, that, that animal is in a bad way. The lion had his way with that animal. But what God is telling even his people, judgment is coming, but you will be spared. There will be a remnant. Amen? Thank God for the remnant. Hard to believe that these people, when they heard this, their only hope and prayer was, Lord, make me a leg. Make me an ear. Lord, save me. He always calls for repentance. It doesn't stop the punishment. The Assyrian army comes. The north is taken. The south is taken. Babylon comes. Punishment comes. But there's a remnant. Thank God for the remnant. We don't get away from judgment, but He makes a way for His people. We don't get away from punishment, but He makes a way for His church. Why are we going through Amos? Well, other than the fact that I felt led through the Spirit to to do Amos, I find myself as I'm reading, looking at the nation that we're in, it's America. It's a great nation. 
looking at the other nations of the world, we have freedoms that no other nation has. I can literally stand up and say whatever I want. I can say whatever I want right now, and it may make you mad, but there is nothing coming against me. My nation isn't going to say you can't say that here, (laughs) not yet. But even in that same nation, if I stand up in certain places and proclaim God, I will be stopped. You can, you can claim any truth you want, but not the truth. That's in our nation now. You say, no, not America. Yes, America. I can, I can claim whatever I want. I can say I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm a dog, I'm a cat. I can claim to be whatever I want to be. But if I stand up and say I'm a child of God, now we have a problem. That's in this nation now. If you can't see the representation here in Amos, was every person in the northern uh, northern kingdom apostate? Well, of course not. But the nation as a whole was. That's what God is saying here. There's a leg. There's an ear. There's going to be those who repent. There's going to be those who hear my voice, who hear my prophet, who are preached to, and they're going to say, Oh, Lord, help me. And they're still going to go through the punishment. They're still going to be chastised, but they will be saved. Same way as those who hear the voice of the Lord, who hear the prophet, who are preached to, and they say, that's not for me. Punishment is coming. Judgment is coming. They will not be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, we we were founded on some principles. We can get in a debate whether our founding fathers were truly Christians or not, but we were founded upon biblical principles. Still to this day, you can take out a dollar and it still says in God we trust on our currency. Whether the government truly believes that or not, it's still there. We were founded upon biblical principles, but our nation does not believe that anymore. We are not a biblical nation. We are a nation bent on self-service, on self-will. And it's time for the church to understand where we are. Amos is not of the land of Israel. He follows God. He's from the southern kingdom. You say, well, the southern kingdom is bad too. Yes, it is. Amos is a prophet. He follows God. He gives the message. Repent. Sounds a lot like a message of Christ, is it not, when he busts out on the scene? John is taken. He must decrease so Christ can increase. His ministry takes off and he starts to preach and teach. And what does he say? Nothing new. He picks up right where John the Baptist left off, preaching to everyone who would listen, teaching to everyone who would listen. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's time for us as a church to first look within ourselves and make sure, am I of the kingdom of Israel or I am of the kingdom of God? Make that decision, make that an election sure, and then stand up for that kingdom. If you are for the kingdom of Israel, party it up. We're talking in Amos. If you are that kingdom of self-service, that kingdom of idolatry, that kingdom that is responsible for the law but is irresponsible with it, live it up. Punishment is coming. Judgment is coming. But if we're of the kingdom of God, 
it is only because we have repented and we've turned from our wicked ways and we look to Christ, our salvation. All of that and not a single note. How about that? God is good. How can our God send judgment upon us? Are we not His chosen people? You won't find these in the Scriptures, but this had to be the thought of the people here in Amos. We're, we're God's chosen people. You know, he, he called us out of the land of Egypt. How come judgment, judgment can't come to us? We're privileged. We have the law. We serve God. We serve Yahweh. We serve the one true living God. Judgment on us? We were fine with judgment on the nations. They deserve it. But judgment on us? Punishment to us? But that's the very reason for the judgment we find in verses 1 and 2. Let's read it again. Hear the word which the Lord has spoken against you, sons of Israel, against the entire family which he brought up from the land of Egypt. And this is the why. You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth privilege. We're chosen. God is our God. We're His people. Therefore, why is that therefore, therefore? That's a big therefore. So, I'm a chosen person out of every family of the earth. This is Put your mindset into someone in this time frame. Only you have I chosen among all the families of earth. Thank you, God. Look at us. Man, ain't we something? Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Hold up. What now? That's not what normally follows a statement of privilege, of prestige. I've chosen you, so now I'm going to punish you. That had to have been a reckoning moment. (laughs) Not what they were expecting. But that's what we have. That's the very reason for the judgment. There, uh, where there is privilege, there must also be responsibility. We're responsible for what we know. We were talking about that tonight in, in Romans. We are responsible for what we know. Amos is using an argument of cause and effect, one of logic, an argument that I really do love because you can't get around logic. It either is what it is or it ain't what it isn't. It's cause and effect. You're welcome for that. Y'all, y'all, y'all are privileged to use that if you want. He says if two people are walking together, they must have made an appointment. Obviously, right? If two people are walking together, they've made an appointment to do that. If a lion roars, he has, he has prey. If a bird is in a trap, somebody set the trap, Right? If the trumpet sounds, calamity is near. They didn't just go playing the trumpet on the walls. That was a warning system. It's like these towns, we don't have them here. We probably should, but uh, we we would, I know why we don't have them. You know, a, a tornado siren. If you blow a tornado siren every day when a tornado is near and the siren goes off, you don't pay attention to it. That's not what a siren is for. So if the trumpet sounded, that meant bad things were happening. And the last one, if a prophet is preaching, then God must have sent him, right? If a prophet is standing up and saying, thus saith the Lord, we probably should listen. 
This is what Amos is saying. Listen, I'm not doing this in my, I I'm, was perfectly fine breeding my sheep and growing figs, but God has sent me. And what is, what is the cause and effect? What is the thing that God wants to say? Well, the Syrians are coming. He announces that there's going to be devastation. There's going to be violence. Their towns are going to be looted. They're going to be taken. How can our God send judgment upon us? Are we not his chosen people? Still, you can hear, how, what are you saying, Amos? How is this going to happen? What do you mean? Same thing we, we go through our mind today when preachers stand up and teachers stand up and they say, hey, church, we need to check ourselves. You know, in Exodus, there was, there was an incident where God told them to go in and take the land. And he said, as long as you do what I tell you to do, you are going to be victorious. And Joshua was like, yay and amen. And they were. They took Jericho and they were victorious. The greatest walled city of the time, the walls fell, they go in, they are victorious. The very next battle, not victorious. Why? Because when God told him to take Jericho, they say to go in. And do not take anything out of the city. But there was a man in the camp who took a garment and took some gold. And the Bible says he went into his tent and he dug a hole in the earth and he covered those things up. There was sin in the camp. He did what he was not supposed to do. And it there's a cause and effect to sin. There is consequences to our actions. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Your sin affects those around you. There's consequences to what we do. If we harm somebody, I'm not talking about shanking them, but if I, if I call somebody to sin, that's, there's a consequence. If my sin causes somebody to sin, that's, there's consequences to that. There's fallout to our actions. Continuing that story in Exodus, when that man is found out, Joshua seeks God, and what God says is take the man, take his wife, take his kids, take his animals, burn his tent, kill them. There's consequences. Are you willing to serve a God that demands perfection? Well, I'm not perfect. No, that's the beauty of it. We have grace. But that does not change the fact that God says, be holy as I am holy. He demands perfection and he knows we can't do that. So he gives us his son who is perfect to die on a cross, die my death, takes my sin, applies it to his account, even though he's sinless, perfect, spotless lamb, takes the sin of everyone who will ever believe for all of eternity. And what I get in exchange for that, of all that wickedness that I give, I get righteousness. I get perfection. I'm not called an enemy of God anymore. I'm not called a slave. I'm called a son. 
I'm called an heir. I'm called a saint. Like, we don't even call ourselves that. There's people who call themselves a saint. We like to throw that term around when when our grannies die and, and, and stuff. Oh, she was a saint. Well, was she saved? That's a truthful statement. But here's the thing, Christian. You're a saint too in your sinfulness right now. The difference, and we'll start to wrap this up, the difference with what Amos is dealing with is they did not see their sinfulness. They thought they were okay serving their idols in Bethel and Dan. Here's the conclusion. It's one thing for the world to sin. That would be a big duh moment. Of course they're going to sin. They're sinful, right? One thing for the world to sin, the Bible tells us that they, they don't have any option. Before salvation, we, we chose sin every time. I chose self every, every time. Even whenever I did good things, they were to boast me. You know, I went to church today. Did you see me? I was there. This was me before 17. Hey, did, did you hear that lesson that I, that I taught in Sunday school? Hey, did you, did you see that solo I played? Man, God was with me today, wasn't he? Boasting in myself. Did you see all the things that I did today? Whereas after salvation, what it was was, God, don't let them see me. <laughs> oh, Lord, please don't let them see me. Forget 17. Today, if you heard my prayer, Lord, don't even let them hear what I prepared, even though I've spent almost 100 hours on this message that you're hearing. Lord, don't, don't let them hear me. Let them hear you. There's a difference in there. Don't let me boast in myself, God. Let them just see you. The world's responsible just as we're responsible. They'll be held under contempt. And if they never believe in Christ and repent and turn from their wickedness, they will be judged. That's one thing for the world to sin, but it's a whole other thing to find Christians to be found in unrepentant sin. This is God's chosen people sinning. You could only do that for a season. Thank God. So can this even happen? Can a true believer fall and find themselves in a place of sinfulness? Yes. Yes, they can. For a season. We can, we can and do fall into sin if we willingly deny the work of the Holy Ghost in us. That is, if we grieve the Spirit. That's a thing we can do. If not, there wouldn't be a command in, in our Bible that says, do not grieve the Spirit for a season. We do this every time we choose sin over righteousness. Every time I choose me over God. I grieve the work of the Spirit within me. We can for a season walk in our ways versus walking in the ways of the Lord. And, and listen, this is the place. This is the place where we find we can do nothing right. How many has ever been there? Talking as a Christian. Just can't ever seem to get it right. What is going on? Where we 
pray and nothing happens, where we find ourselves going through the motion versus living in the, in the Spirit, where we start to worship me over Him, where we get easier, it gets easier and easier to do the wrong over right. This is also the place where we find we are pressed and heavy with shame. This is the life of a Christian. You say somebody saved by grace through Christ alone going to heaven? Yes. When I sin, I am crushed by my conviction to the point of repentance. That's, that's the whole point of this chastisement. Where we don't pray because we know we are unworthy to approach God. Lord, I've been there. I know I need to pray. I know I need to ask for forgiveness. I just can't bring myself to do it because I'm so I'm so hurt that I would even do that. God says, come to me, all you are heavy laden. That's just the Sister Mary, that's a lie of the devil that I can't I can't approach my father. He's not looking for perfection in me. He's found perfection in His Son. Where we fight the Spirit versus fighting with the Spirit. Where God in His love punishes us into repentance. Just like a good father corrects his son, so does our Heavenly Father correct the wrong in us. This leads to one of two outcomes, and this is what Amos is preaching. This is what we're going to get out of Amos. One of two outcomes. Punishment is coming. You're not getting out of it, son. How many has ever heard that from their daddy? You're going to get corrected. But it can be better or it can be worse for you, depending on your next move. I've heard that a lot. See, my dad already, in those moments, he already knew the truth, Brother Chad. But whether I lied or I fessed up meant the difference between a chastisement, and severe correction. It's the same thing in the Spirit. God already knows. And He's standing there waiting saying, Scott, I know. I know you need to tell me something. You're going to get corrected, son, but it can be better for you or we can make things a lot worse. But He's going to get the truth out of us. Let's go to Him in repentance. Where we fight the Spirit versus fighting with the Spirit, where God in His love punishes us for His repentance, this leads to two outcomes. One of two. One, we fall away and never repent. And the Bible says we do that because we never truly had a grasp. Choosing the things of this sinful life over the things of a righteous God. Or two, you're led into godly sorrow true repentance where the correcting Father greets you with open arms and with a warm embrace where you're humbled and chastened into a more aware, more mature Christian. That's what correction brings, Brother Travis. When I'm on the other side of this, when I have repented, when I have embraced who I am and who God is, I grow. I grow. Same thing we see with our kids. They grow into maturity because of the loving correction of their parents. 
even though at the time it can hurt. But they're better off for it. We're responsible for what we know. So my question tonight is, what do you know? We know a lot more than some. All God asks is that we we capitalize on that privilege. It's a privilege to be called into service for Christ. But don't let this privilege cloud your mind into irresponsibility just because you are in Christ. Don't sin. Paul had a thing for that. He said, just because I have grace, should I continue to sin? God forbid. May it never be. That's what we're talking about here. We have a responsibility to to do what God has commanded us to do. And the, the grace in this is that God already knows I can't do it, so he gives us his spirit. And he says, if all you will do is do what I tell you to do, strive for holiness, I'm going to carry you through. Amen. Let's stand tonight. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the correction, oh God, that we sometimes need. Help us, Lord, to see. Lord, all along the way that you are gently correcting us, help us to see this so we don't end up like those at Amos who have to be punished to such an extent. Lord, break our hearts. Mold us into your image. Give us, O God, like your word says, a heart of flesh, not of sinful flesh, but one that is able to be molded. Break our hardness, O God. Convict us of our sin. Help us to repent. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen.